From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us. I encourage you to check out the website, TonyPerkins.com, to find this and every program. Also, the Stand Firm app, wherever it is that you find your apps, you can stay connected to Washington Watch as well as every other FRC product through the Stand Firm app. I encourage you to download that now today on the program. So glad that you are with us because we've got a lot in front of us. Are vaccine mandates and vaccine passports legal? We're going to discuss that with Matt Staver from Liberty Council. Uh, What's the latest with the infrastructure bill that actually is increasingly looking like the Equality Act, uh, dressed up as a roads package? Travis Weber will join us to have that conversation, as well as the wokeification of the Olympics. Are politics making the Olympics less fun? We'll talk to Owen Strand about that. But to start off the program today... Half of Congress is in recess, but what hasn't taken a break is the surge in illegal immigration at our southern border. And they aren't just bringing themselves or their families. Many are bringing the coronavirus with them, and recent news reports indicate that some illegal immigrants are not being tested or vaccinated before they are released into the country. Meanwhile, a different standard is being applied to federal employees and federal contractors. Get the COVID shot or else. Every federal government employee will be asked to attest to their vaccination status. Anyone who does not attest or is not vaccinated will be required to mask no matter where they work, test one or two times a week to see if they've, acqu- they've acquired COVID, socially distance, and generally will not be allowed to travel for work. Likewise, today, I'm directing my administration to take steps to apply similar standards to all federal contractors. Joining me to discuss this is Congressman Michael Guest. He's the vice ranking member of the House Homeland Security Committee. Congressman Guest, welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph, thank you for having me this afternoon. Well, to start off, um, just give me your perspective about what's happening at the southern border right now. You know, uh, what we're seeing is we're seeing the situation continue to deteriorate on a daily basis. Uh, I was on the border along with several other of my Republican colleagues uh, earlier in the year, and the situation was dire there. But as we continue to see each and every day, those numbers continue to get worse. Uh, The last numbers that we have that have been reported by the Department of Homeland Security for June were 188,000 illegal aliens who were encountered across the border. Uh, We expect the numbers for July, based on what the media is reporting, to be somewhere around 200 to 210,000 individuals. So each and every day, we see the situation along the border continue to get worse. Uh, we as Republicans have been talking about this now uh, really since the very beginning, since January, when uh, President Biden was sworn in and taken office. Uh, but the thing that people are starting to pay attention to with the spread of the Delta variants of COVID uh, is the public health risk associated with letting so many individuals cross our border, either untested, uh, because and, and we know almost everyone coming across the border is unvaccinated. So we're having unvaccinated and in many cases, untested individuals that we are allowing 
not only come into the southern part of our border, but we are then allowing them to travel across the United States, uh, spreading potentially COVID strands, which we do not have in the United States across the country. I, I want to get to the coronavirus component of this, but are the rising numbers of people that we're seeing at the border, is it as simple as they see an opportunity to come that didn't exist previously, so they're coming in larger numbers? Is it that simple? Uh, I, I think that has a lot of messaging, has a lot to do with it. Uh, I, I believe, based on everything that, that I know and the, the, the individuals that I've spoken to, uh, is that the people in Central, South America, in Mexico, uh, are getting the word that, that our borders are open, that if you come, particularly if you come with a child, uh, that you will be allowed to stay in the country uh, and that you will then be allowed not only to stay, uh, but that you will be transported to your destination so that you can then link up with family members or friends who are in the United States. And so I think that when the current administration came in on day one, they stopped funding of the wall on the Southwest border. Uh, we also saw them uh, decide to, to not implement uh, Title 42, which was under the public health emergency, uh, to, to families. And, and so this, and we, and we also saw at the same time the Remain in Mexico policy stopped very shortly after President Biden uh, was sworn into office. So these policy changes, uh, they are being exploited by drug cartels who are often uh, being used to transport uh, illegal aliens across the country to give them safe passage. Uh, and so what we have seen as it relates to uh, international uh, drug cartels is now they have branched out from not not only uh, bringing illegal drugs into the country, uh, but now serving uh, as a transportation route for illegal aliens to, to come across the border, uh, and they are uh, profiting uh, from their illegal activity. You say that people in Central and South America have, have gotten word that if you bring a child into the country, the United States government will essentially deliver you to any destination that you want. If that's their impression, is that also their experience when they do come? Uh, in, in many cases, yes. Uh, if you are traveling with a child under 12, uh, the, the, the law as the, the United States is applying it under the Biden administration allows those individuals to come across the border regardless of their COVID status. Uh, they are allowed entry into the country uh, and they're allowed not only to stay in the country, but if there is no housing in the local area, uh, what we're seeing is either government or some cases, some of your charitable organizations are paying to fly illegal aliens to, uh, across the country. When I was at the border, we were there in McAllen, uh, we saw family units there with envelopes. Those envelopes would say, I do not speak English. Please help me to my destination. And they were given plane tickets paid for ultimately by the United States government uh, to travel to their ultimate destination. And so that is the message uh, that the illegal immigrants are, are, are hearing, that our border is open. Uh, that if they come with a child, that they uh, will be allowed to stay. And the other rush that, that is pulling these people into the country is the talk of amnesty that we're seeing uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, as part of uh, the budget reconciliation plan that the Democrats are currently working on now, one of the things that they are talking about is granting amnesty to those individuals who have illegally entered the country. And so there is a rush to get in the country before that legislation is debated, before that legislation is ultimately possible passed and signed uh, so that there would be a pathway to citizenship and amnesty granted for those people that come into the country legally. And, and not only are they getting the word that the country is open, but uh, remarkably, American taxpayers are paying the freight for the trip, it seems. Now, the other angle on this 
is the COVID dynamic. And at the top of the segment, you, you heard that clip from President Biden, who is, is getting uh, strict with federal employees. But is there a double standard in the way that he's treating federal employees and uh, people who are coming into the country illegally right now with respect to his concern over the coronavirus? Uh, clearly, there's a double standard. Uh, what the president is saying as it relates to Americans, hardworking Americans, Americans who are employed by the federal government, is if you want to keep your job and you don't want to be tested on a regular basis, we are going to require you to receive a COVID vaccine. What he's telling the people who are in the country illegally is, one, we may or may not test you. Even if we test you and you test positive, we're still going to allow you to remain in the country and we're going to allow you to travel abroad. We see that the administration is talking about uh, requiring individuals from foreign countries before they enter the country to make sure that they are showing proof of COVID vaccination, but that it will not apply to the southern border. So clearly there's a double standard for individuals who are one, trying to enter the country legally, and there's also a double standard on what he expects federal government employees to do versus those people who are breaking the law and who are illegally entering the country along the southwest border. And what's curious about this, one ICE official told Fox News that while the vaccine is being offered uh, to those coming into the country illegally, he estimates about 30 percent of them are declining. And uh, the opportunity to decline is something that the president doesn't seem to want to offer to federal employees right now. Um, there's also a part of the story is in McAllen, Texas, and uh, the mayor of that of that town, it's a border town has uh, issued a state of emergency declaration, and this is what he had to say, uh, and I'm going to play this and let you respond to this. I declared a declaration, a disaster declaration a couple of days ago for the purposes of trying to get assistance from the federal and the state government. Now look, I know you all are angry, and we get the calls, we get the texts, we get the emails, but look, I ask you to please do not misplace your anger. It is not our commission that's responsible for this. They did what they had to do to protect each and every one of you. Now, the reports are that his town is getting 1,800 new illegal immigrants deposited into his town by the federal government every day. What's your advice to Mayor Villalobos there? Well, what I'll say is I empathize with him because clearly uh, his community has been abandoned by the federal government. You know, the, the president appointed the vice president uh, as czar over the border to help solve this issue. And we have seen that that has been a complete failure, uh, that the president refuses to acknowledge that what we're seeing across, along the border is a crisis time and time again when asked. Uh, he refuses to acknowledge that. But what we are seeing is we're seeing local elected officials, Republicans and Democrats there on the ground. They are saying that this is a humanitarian crisis and this is a public health crisis, and they are crying out for help for the federal government. And it's past time that the federal government reach out to these local communities and see what we can do to provide them the manpower and the resources that they need, because they are clearly on the front lines of what is happening along the southwest border. What help do you believe the federal government should be offering to those towns like McAllen, Texas? You know, I think what we should be doing is we should be re first reinstating the successful policies of the Trump administration, reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy, uh, reinstate uh, the Title 42 for all individuals coming across the border so that they can be very quickly returned back to their country of origin. We need to restart border construction so that people know that we are serious about securing our border. We need to have additional uh, federal agents who are down there helping to deal with the surge that we're seeing. And we also need to help those, uh, those communities 
communities financially. Many of those uh, communities financially are having to put extra resources, uh, extra manpower to, to deal with what they're seeing. And so there is a financial component that the federal government should be helping with these local communities. Uh, last question, I think, for you. I want to change topics briefly. Yesterday, we talked to Senator Josh Hawley about the infrastructure bill that's in the Senate that could be finding its way uh, to you over in the House. Uh, what's the conversation that you're hearing in the House about this infrastructure bill? What are your thoughts on it? Well, you know, I know it's a 2,700-page bill. We have begun to to really look into the bill. You know, CPO just scored the bill, I think, earlier today. They said that it's going to add $256 billion to the national debt. Uh, hearing that whatever comes out of the Senate, that the House, many members of the House, will be offering amendments to change the bill. Uh, so we're, we're very skeptical of this legislation at this point. Oh, I, we want to really dig into the legislation, make sure that we understand everything that comes over from the Senate. We still don't know what that final version is because there are uh, currently amendments in the Senate, which they are taking up now. And I believe that there will be additional amendments which are offered once the bill comes to the House. And so just because this bill is bipartisan, uh, in the Senate. Uh, at this point, I think it's too early to tell how many Republicans will agree to, to this legislation once it finally comes up for a vote in the House. And it is, uh, it seems always referred to as a bipartisan bill. Uh, do you think it's going to get bipartisan support in the House? Uh, you know, ultimately, we're going to have to take a look at that. I believe that if it does receive Republicans' votes at this point, that those votes would be very few. And so if you want to count three, four, or five votes as being bipartisan legislation, if that's what the president wants to count, he will probably get that. But as far as having an overwhelming bipartisan support from the Republicans, I do not see that as this legislation stands right now. Again, it could change before it makes it to the House. Once it gets to the House, there will be amendments offered by both Republicans and Democrats to change that. So I don't know exactly what this bill is going to look like when we will vote on it, but I will tell you right now that I think the number of House Republicans supporting this uh, this legislation would be extremely small. Congressman Guest, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Joseph. Come on back. Are vaccine passports legal? We'll talk about it next. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. 
The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. If you've been a regular viewer of Washington Watch, you probably heard Tony cover the issue of COVID vaccines that are being mandated from employers, from school districts, colleges and universities, and even some restaurants and fitness centers and music venues in certain parts of the country as a condition for their services. And Tony's written about this in our Washington updates as well. And he said this on the show many times. What he said is, I'm not against the vaccine. What I'm against is people not being able to choose for themselves whether they need it based on their own health. A government mandate is absolutely the wrong way to go about this. So what are our rights when it comes to the COVID vaccine mandates that are popping up throughout the country? Well, you are in luck. Joining me now to talk about these questions is Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council. Matt, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. Good to be with you. Well, let's start with the uh, vaccine requirements for federal employees. We talked about that in the last segment. Uh, Are these legal or not? They're not. In fact, uh, the emergency use authorization law is very clear and is also the FDA statements, including the FDA fact sheet that goes along with the authorization of these particular injections, COVID injections regarding Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. And it says this explicitly, that any individual has the, quote, option to accept or refuse, close quote, the product. You have the option to accept or refuse. The Department of Justice, in its memo on that issue, on the very first page, acknowledged that's what the federal law said. And they repeated it many times throughout their memo. But then, inexplicably, they say that the option to accept or refuse means that we have the requirement to tell you you have the option to accept or refuse, but after that, we can force these shots. It's absolutely absurd. The federal emergency use authorization law authorizes certain medications, either those that are already in existence or those to be created, for emergency use when there's not sufficient data They are called experimental and investigational in the language of the FDA. And that's why you can't force these particular products, including all of these drugs. 
but they did anyway, and they said that the VA was going to have to take them, then federal employees. We pushed back, and we're still pushing back. We're working with a lot of VA employees, and now the VA has kind of backtracked a little bit, and they're giving the employees an option to check a box to opt out because they realize that this is a violation of the federal law. Now, vaccine mandates are not unprecedented in American history. Smallpox vaccines were, one, were once um, uh, required, and the Supreme Court actually said that was constitutional. Um, is this a different situation than the smallpox vaccine? Well, when we look back, that was 105 years ago. That was before the First Amendment was ever incorporated into the individual states, and it was before the whole jurisprudence of the First Amendment that developed. So that's really antiquated law. And in fact, there's other federal law, there's state laws that really provide protection. Uh, no one can be forced to take this particular shot. Look, we, we did this before with the swine flu. We stopped that failed experiment after 53 cumulative deaths. Right now, we're having an average over the last seven months of 57 deaths every single day from these COVID shots. We're having more deaths in one day from the shots alone that are recorded by the CDC than all the cumulative deaths from the swine flu, which we ultimately stopped. And we remember not too long ago, we forced the soldiers to take the anthrax vaccine. Well, you know, many soldiers are still suffering from that today. And that's why it's very critical that this remain an individual choice. People can make a decision to take this shot, but they also have the absolute right to refuse this shot. And many are refusing. So these mandates by the federal government, by states, by employers, and by schools violate a lot of federal laws, many state laws, and we are working with hundreds and hundreds of people across the country at all of these levels to make sure they have the freedom to choose what to inject in their body. Another way that uh, the governments are trying to compel people to get the vaccine is to make life so complicated if you don't have the vaccine uh, through a vaccine passport. We saw this week uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York do that. Uh, is that approach legal for governments? No, it's not. And in fact, uh, many states have already banned vaccine passports. Florida led the uh, lead in that situation. But look, you cannot check somebody's medical status at the door as a criteria to fly, as a criteria to patronize a restaurant or a grocery store. That's a violation of the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, along with other state laws as well. So there's a lot of reasons, in addition to the emergency use authorization law, that you can't force these. We were going to file suit today against a very large university in Illinois on behalf of students. They had denied all of their religious exemptions. But at the last minute, just last night, they relented. But they relented only after these students got an attorney. Now, tomorrow, they're telling other students who don't have an attorney that they'll be expelled. They're bullying people, and they know they don't have a legal leg to stand on. So we may end up representing some of these expelled students next week. But the point is... There is no basis legally to enforce these shots. There's no basis to require the showing of some kind of vaccination status, whether by paper or electronic means, as a criteria to work, to shop, to dine, or to travel. I suspect that we're going to hear quite a bit about this in, in the courts. It's encouraging to hear that development out of that Illinois University because they were willing to stand up for themselves as, as students and, and get counsel. Are there other cases that you're aware of uh, affecting um, either the vaccine mandates or vaccine passports? 
Yes, there's a couple of cases that's been filed. We have been very successful at getting religious exemptions for all of the people that we represent, and we're representing them all over the country. And people that need help, they can go to lc.org and then click on the legal help tab, lc.org legal help tab, and there's a sample religious exemption letter that they can use, and we can walk them through that. So we're getting a lot of success here, but we have been on the verge of filing twice, just literally hours away, until the defendant in those cases, one in Louisiana, one in Illinois, and in other places, back down. Uh, but we have lawsuits ready to go to make sure that nobody is forced against their will. And now we're starting to see this in the military. We're getting pleas from people in the military who are being told that the mandate's coming, and if they don't abide by it, they'll be court-martialed and dishonorably discharged. Look, the healthcare workers ran to the front line. They put their lives on the line for the last 18 months. So have our soldiers run to the front line to defend our freedom. We should not treat them this way, to tell them what they have to inject in their body or they're gonna be fired or they're gonna be dishonorably discharged. That is reprehensible and we're gonna defend them. Matt Staver, Liberty Council, we're thankful that there are people like you there to defend them when, when they need it. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, good to be with you. Coming up after the break, we're gonna talk about more, the $1 trillion with a T infrastructure bill. Stay with us. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backel sitting for Tony. Thanks for joining us today. Right now, Senate Democrats in Washington are lining up 
a $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure deal that's bad news. Not only will the bill increase the federal deficit, which has already ballooned to three times its 2019 levels, but it also contains a poison pill that looks a lot like the goals of the Equality Act. As you may know, the Equality Act, if passed, would be a total total overhaul of our federal civil rights framework to mandate special privileges based on LGBT identities. The Equality Act would disturbingly and significantly curb our first freedoms. What in the world does the Equality Act have to do with infrastructure? Joining me now to discuss this is Travis Weber. He's FRC's VP for Public Policy and Government Affairs. Travis, welcome back. Thank you. So. We've been talking about it all week. What's the latest on this infrastructure bill? The yeah, latest, so uh, Senate debating the bill right now. We continue to see a number of amendments filed uh, today. It's, it's a little bit chaotic procedurally, just with uh, rapid uh, flux in the news and reporting and what we seem to be uh, trying, trying to uh, figure out what's going on over there. I do know that um, amendments, um, are being, there's a number of amendments the senators want to make to the bill. The problem is the core text that we're looking at now that's going to get a vote in all likelihood is bad. It is it's problematic. For us, significantly, uh, the bill has a provision that inserts uh, sexual orientation, gender identity language into federal law, into a federal statute. As you noted, the Equality Act being linked to this conceptually, the point is, is once you put this type of language in a federal statute, you set a precedent. And that makes it easier for everyone to try to claim it should be in future federal statutes. Obviously, nothing to do with infrastructure. Senator Josh Hawley and others have been pointing out it's irrelevant, you know, along with a host of other things entirely irrelevant to this bill. That's our main problem here. Uh, you know, on top of this, you know, there's the spending, the trillions that we're spending over the course of the last year, uh, and it's all being rushed, right? This is being crammed through the Senate. Uh, so this is why we need people to let their senators know this bill needs to be stopped. We've engaged our people. Senators are hearing from them. Uh, people can go to www.frcaction.org slash infrastructure to click on our uh, uh, letter and message that they can send to their senators, let them know why this bill's bad, why it needs to be voted down. And I know a lot of people have done that, gone to frcaction.org slash infrastructure, and a lot of people are, are contacting their senators, and I think it seems that they're surprised about the level of input they've gotten since this is kind of a Rhodes bill, right? Well, yeah, it's a Rhodes bill. You know, they're... Uh, we hadn't seen text till this weekend, right? right? So people throw around the term infrastructure. We think, oh, you know, it sounds like roads, bridges, ports, ships, that kind of thing. You know, we, we find social uh, engineering language in it. Yeah. We find SOGI language in it, host of other issues in it, um, uh, and a variety of issues, you know, Green New Deal-related language. Um, to say nothing of the fact that this passage of this through the Senate paves the way for further uh, um, uh, craziness right. to occur when— the Senate takes up the reconciliation package, which um, uh, Speaker Pelosi's already indicated, uh, you know, she's really gunning for. The point is, is if there's all this liberal social language in this bill, if they can't, uh, if they can't get infrastructure done in this bill, infrastructure is going to have to be done in re in reconciliation, leaving less room for liberal social language to be done through reconciliation. That's why this bill must be stopped in addition to the problems with the bill. And it is a big deal. I want to play uh, Senator Lee from Utah has has taken up the cause as well. And let, let's go ahead and play that clip. It's clip number four. And uh, then I'm going to give you a chance to respond to it. 
At the end of the day, it is the American people whose tax dollars we take to pay for packages like this. At the end of the day, it is the American people who will bear the brunt of the debt we're forcing on them. At the end of the day, it is the American people who will feel the effects in every aspect of their daily lives, in their workplaces, their communities, and their families. And they should get a say in it. They certainly shouldn't have to sign on to something that was made known to the American people at 10 p.m., on Sunday night. Those who drafted this legislation had four months to review it, four months to get to know it. The American people shouldn't be asked to pass this in four days. How much of the problem with this is financial? Uh, a significant portion of, of the problem that we're pointing out is the, <laughs> the money that we're just pumping through the pipeline here. You know, there's a host of, issue, host of issues that Senator Lee points out. We're learning about the text days before they're being asked to vote on it. We're pumping money through for things that have nothing to do with infrastructure, social engineering, leftist, radical social policies being crammed through into this bill. And, you know, we're still unsure when we might even see a final vote. We might see one tonight. It's possible that the vote could be Saturday. We've been engaging our people. I know others are, too, as well, to point out the problems of this bill, uh, liberal social policies under the name of infrastructure, in addition to the, the precedent that it sets the road and the gap that it uh, opens up for reconciliation, the, 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 the budgetary-focused reconciliation process that's going to allow Democrats to push radical social policies through that vehicle if uh, they, they um, uh, can't do so here. So uh, this is a big problem. We need to stop the bill. You and your team here at FRC have really been leading the charge on the Hill to make members of Congress aware of what this really is as opposed to what it claims to be. Do you feel like the efforts are uh, paying off? I do. I, I think, you know, we're, we're trying to just explain to, to uh, senators, explain to their staffs, explain to our people and get them to communicate to the Senate what's actually in the bill, right? And that, that's the big story here, as I've been saying. We hear infrastructure, we think infrastructure. It's not infrastructure. Um, I do think we're breaking through. Other groups have been engaging. We have state allies we're working with who are engaging as well. And the Republicans supporting this need to hear from their people that they don't want to be t have this price tag, tag attached onto them uh, for, for material that's liberal social policies. We, he wouldn't even know what half of it is. So big problem we need to keep cutting through and hopefully be heard. Travis Weber, thank you so much for your help. Thank you. All right. And that is why you need Travis, and that's why you need FRC in Washington, D.C., because it says it's infrastructure, but it's not really infrastructure. Coming back, the wokeification of the Olympics. We'll talk about it with Owen Strand. Stay with us. What is religious freedom, and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. 
Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Glad that you are here with us. Well, the delayed 2020 Olympics are finally in full swing in Tokyo, Japan. There's certainly lots to cheer cheer for for Team America. We've seen many American athletes show full-throated displays of elation over medals won, while also showing patriotism for the country they represent. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. Makes you happy, doesn't it? But as with too many things in recent years, there have been more than a few instances of woke American athletes spurning the very country they represent. Joining me now to discuss this and his Christian Post column titled Transgender Weightlifters and Twerking Lesbians. Wokeification of the Tokyo Olympics is Owen Strand, who is one of FRC's senior fellows at the Center for Biblical Worldview and the author of the brand new book, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel. Owen, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Joseph. Great to be back with you. Well, it's good to have you. I I enjoyed the article. Um, Let's just start by telling uh, why... Why do you feel like the Olympics have gone woke? They've gone woke because so much of our culture has gone woke. And frankly, the Olympics allow, obviously, a massive global spotlight. So a lot of athletes who are buying into woke ideas, specifically when we talk about wokeness, we mean that somebody has woken up to the nature of racial injustice, systemic racism, (laughs) 
and structural inequality in America. A lot of athletes for various reasons and from different corners of the society have imbibed those ideas. And so now what they're doing when they have a platform, whether it's kneeling before a game, making an X intersectionally on a metal stand, uh, in injecting a black power fist to signal support for Black Lives Matter in a gymnastic floor routine, these and other Olympic displays are athletes showing us that critical race theory is not a boogeyman intersectionality and wokeness are, are not imaginary fictitious ideas dreamed up by the far right to try to take back america actually this ideology is on the ground it's real it's having an effect it's influencing people and now a global audience is seeing for itself that wokeness is real and it's destructive is it just our perception or do you think this kind of activism during the Olympics is actually new? It's not new. You know, we can think about roughly 50 years ago, different athletes making the black power fist. So this isn't something unprecedented, but we do have uh, a special wave, it seems today, of performatist athletes. You think of uh, Megan Rapinoe of the U.S. women's soccer team playing in the Olympics who has seemingly kneeled for everything a person could kneel for in terms of the leftist playbook and leftist ideas. It's hard to track at this point how many things this woman has kneeled for uh, as a woke athlete. So it's not new uh, to use the Olympics for your personal brand or to trumpet leftist causes, but it does seem to have picked up in particular intensity, which reminds us that wokeness as an ideology is not soft, uh, it's not fair, it hijacks your brain. It really takes you over. And uh, that's why I wrote this book, Christianity and Wokeness, to show people what it is and to oppose this hijacking that takes place when you embrace wokeness, when you go woke. Uh, perhaps to change the subject slightly, but not entirely, do you find it more difficult to cheer for athletes who are this outspoken in this way, uh, though representing your country? Oh, definitely. I mean, ratings have plummeted for the Tokyo Olympics. They're down 49% by one count. I'm sure there are different reasons for that trend, but I think one of the reasons for it is that you have athletes lecturing us in public, telling us as, for example, Rapino has, that the flag isn't really worth standing for, that America is not really a, a country worth defending. We've never been virtuous in so many words, she has said. Uh, when you look at our history, it's shot through with evil and racism and all these problems. Joseph, we are honest uh, as Christians, and we should be as every kind of citizen, about American failings. Uh, I'm not trying to whitewash America. Our, our sins of slavery and Jim Crow and so on are real sins, and we're honest about them. But we recognize those as problematic aspects of the American legacy. We don't reduce all of American history to those realities. We recognize there's a lot of good in this country. God's common grace has been a major player in our history. There's been lots of Christians in this country who have had all sorts of influence in the public square and especially through the church, through the preaching of the gospel of divine grace. And that means that when you look at America, you see a complex reality as you see in any country, but you also see a lot to be thankful for. That Olympian who was so grateful for America represents how many of us feel about this country, not because it's perfect, but because God has blessed us through this country. It's uplifted us. It's given us citizenship. It's given us the free market, free speech, these kind of blessings. When you compare America to many countries, there's a great deal to be thankful for. So I think a lot of Americans 
they don't need to see somebody agreeing with them on all counts in order to cheer for them in team handball or whatever team handball exactly is. But they do expect to see their athletes at least honor their country and honor the citizens, frankly, who have funded them uh, to get to the Olympics. I think that's a fair point, and I do want to get into that conversation about why so many find it difficult to even just acknowledge the good things about America, because certainly those exist. But I want to play another example here. Uh, Raven Sanders, who's a shot putter, uh, talking about her intersectionality salute that she did um, during, during her uh, silver medal ceremony. Go ahead and play that clip five. Me being a black queer female that has dealt with, you know, that deals continuously with major depression, anxiety, and PTSD and those things like mm-hmm. that, um, it was my duty. It was my duty, my obligation, because I understand that this metal is bigger than me. You know, um, this metal is, it's not just for me. You know, uh-huh. it's for the community. I, I got this metal for the community. Why is it that she chose to make an, an intersectionality uh, salute, which is basically crossing your arms in the form of an X? How is that significant to her, do you think? It's significant because she's told us that she was doing so because of her belief in intersectionality, the belief that she is a part of various groups that are minority groups in this society and thus have been robbed of power and of opportunity. So as a black lesbian woman she has at least three causes minority causes that mean that she has been wronged by this society in structuralist terms and so she has uh, a claim to social justice that would elevate her voice over for example a white uh, heterosexual male like me so raven raven saunders is not simply saying you know i'm trying to speak up for a a certain group she's making a very specific claim and it's a woke claim and she is actually the one who uh as they say twerked on camera after uh, a successful effort in her competition so this is a woman who lives a lifestyle that uh we cannot frankly support in biblical terms as christians yet she is being put before us by the media as the the person who stands for social justice in our time and this is how we see that christians as i say in christianity and wokeness cannot just swallow the cultural narrative even as the olympics coverage is telling us to we have to recognize that hey we can affirm she's an image bearer and we pray for her and want her to know god's love and grace but this is not a woman who is standing up for righteous causes in the least You know, sports used to be something that generally united us as a a country and as communities. And increasingly, uh, sports seem to be part of the the cultural divide and the culture wars. Is there anything that wokeness is not interested in? Wokeness wants it all, baby. Wokeness (laughs) wants to do exactly what we've been talking about. It wants to politicize everything. And it makes it, it wants you to feel guilty as you're watching the Olympics for American history, for slavery. That's what that's what wokeness's stock and trade is. It is guilt, it is shame, and it is anger. And so you need to recognize that even though you may hear wokeness talking from a pulpit that seems benign, that seems fine, just recognize your white privilege, something seemingly, uh, you know, that we'd be interested in as Christians. Actually, when you look at this system and what it means with those kind of terms and with these kind of displays that we're talking about in the Olympics, it actually wants you to feel shame if you're a white person. It wants you to recognize that America is actually this evil country, that there's not really 
really anything worth standing for, and ultimately that we need to embrace a new leftist form of social change, social justice, if we're going to make any real growth. And we need to just recognize, A, this is no fun at all. Turn the TV off. <laughs> Let's get outside. Let's drive across America. Take the kids on a road trip, as I said in this Christian Post article. America, unlike the performers of the woke Olympics, is worth seeing. Uh, it's not worth watching to be harangued by athletes who win medals that are funded. The performances are funded by Americans like us. Megan Rapino is a member of the U.S. women's soccer team, and, and she has uh, protested during these Olympics uh, by kneeling during the national anthem, and she's done so in many cases in, in the past as well. And she explained that in the past statement. She said about the flag that she would kneel for, what I think the flag should mean is like an impossible standard in which we are always trying to get to. We're not there. We were never there. First of all, the country was founded not on freedom and liberty and justice for all, I think we can just start to be very honest with ourselves about that. This country was founded on chattel slavery and the brutal and ruthless system of slavery. So let's be really honest about that. Why is it that there's this need to uh, prioritize things that are bad and essentially ignore uh, things that are good and just a, a real reluctance to ever be grateful about anything in America? Wokeness is without grace, as I say in, in this book, Christianity and Wokeness. It's, it's a, a religion of law. All it is is law, and it has a priestly caste at the top, like man's religions do, non-biblical uh, religions do. So there are priests who tell everybody what to do and what to think and how bad they are, but there's never actually a system of absolution or forgiveness, and Rapino is representing that when she's talking about how horrible America is and, by extension, how bad uh, many Americans were and are. We are honest about those failings that she mentioned. We abhor chattel slavery as Christians. And we recognize, however, that there's actually forgiveness, there's grace, there's growth in societies, even as there is growth in individuals. And though uh, the American founding was mingled with negative elements, sinful elements, there actually was a lot of good in the American founding, the American Constitution, uh, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, these founding documents have a lot of principles in them that we very much support and we're thankful for, and frankly, that are compatible in, in, in real senses with a Christian worldview. So we can be honest about failings of our country, even as we recognize she's wrong. There's all sorts of, of good teaching and good truth embedded in the American past and even being lived out today much as we're divided, much as wokeness is infiltrating society and infiltrating the Christian church, we have a lot to be thankful for. Because you see, Joseph, we have a doctrine of divine grace. We recognize that God saves sinners like us and that God even shows common grace to all people, including shock alert, shock alert Americans. You know, we, we have a very different worldview than those who, are, who would claim to be woke. And, and, and our worldview teaches us that, well, the world is never going to be perfect. And you, and you can't perfect things until Jesus ultimately comes in and restores a new heaven and a new earth. Sin is done away with. How much Amen. of that do you think is, is relevant to the perspective that we see on the left, where they're frustrated by everything that's wrong, they obsess with everything that's wrong, because they have the expectation that perhaps everything could be right? Do you think that's a, a, an accurate framing of the difference? 
That is a very accurate framing. Their eschatology, theology of the end times, of the end of all things, the end of history, is squarely imminent. It's all about this world. It's all about humanity. We are the ones who make the cosmos right. That's why you need to understand that social justice is utopian. It actually believes that we can end racism. We can end inequality in our time. None of us can do this. We can fight sin. We can fight partiality, James 2.1. We absolutely should in the church in the society, in our own hearts. So that's right by the power of Christ in us. But we can't make the world right. Wokeness is secularized. Wokeness is really atheistic. And it believes that humanity, especially Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the Democratic left, these are movements of justice that are going to put the world to rights. But we need to understand today, Joseph, this is a lie. This is not the truth. We should be salt and light as Christians while we can, here and now, but no movement will put the world to rights. In reality, what wokeness is telling us and selling us is neo-Marxist utopia, and, and Marxism is history's most successful bad idea. People buy it over and over again, believing that if they do, uh, they'll, they'll put their country to rights. It'll all be utopia. It'll all be good. The evils of capitalism will be over. In reality, Marxism ends up causing revolution and the deaths of hundreds of thousands and millions. So we don't know what it's going to do in America in days to come, but we need to resist it in the church, and we need to resist it for the sake of Western civilization. Its promises, frankly, are lies. If you believe the world is perfectible, the fact that it's not will be frustrating. If you don't believe the world is perfectible, uh, you can be grateful despite the imperfections. And I think that is a big part of our difference. Now, Owen, very quickly, one other kind of woke aspect of this. Laurel Hubbard is a, a man who identifies as a woman now, was on the New Zealand team, failed to, perf uh, to complete even a single lift. Do you, think, do you think he was trying to uh, be a personal rebuttal to the idea that men are actually stronger than women by failing to complete a, a single lift? It's not the greatest performance ever for a uh, man posing as a woman competing with women. Right. And uh, so, yeah, not exactly a, a going out in a blaze of glory there, but nonetheless uh, representing another woke shift in our culture in a sexual direction that we lament and yet God, in his, in his common grace and his providence, has chosen to expose as bankrupt uh, through this failure to even complete a lift. Owen Strand, really appreciate your time. And I want to commend uh, everybody. Uh, go get his book, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel. You won't be sad that you did. It's an incredibly important insight into what's going on in our culture, what's going on in the church, and what you can do about it. And that's what we try to help you do every day here on Washington Watch. Make sure you know what you can do about it. And we'll do that again tomorrow on Washington Watch. We'll see you then. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.